so we were so we were in Texas we helped Kaylee move into Lubbock and I wanted to share these I thought it'd be encouraging this is her wall and this is a lot of church stuff so I thought it'd be encouraging to everyone then we went to Tennessee and visited some friends and family and then we got back two Sunday two Mondays ago and left again on Friday to a youth conference called manifest and so now we are back here on Sunday and when we were in Tennessee we went to the movies with the family and we before the movie saw the trailers and one of them was for another exorcist movie which the first one made lots of money so naturally they're still 50 years later doing sequels but if you haven't gone to the movies much you would uh, maybe not notice but if you do you'll probably see lots of posters even beyond those for horror movies that are along those lines and so I thought the implication is that America even non-Christians if Satan said I want your soul in a deep horror movie voice they would decline and even flee from that so I thought what would Satan say and I think one thing is instead of a horror movie voice the voices around you that this thing that will be destructive and harm you is totally normal or the best thing he could do would be to stop the church which if he said that it's fine to do nothing and normal to not help build anyone up or reach and share the gospel and it's normal to not obey or follow then that I think would be an effective way and so he um, maybe a lot of people would say that there's a lot of amazing Christians in America but also there's a noticeable amount of Christians who in fact do have that mindset and so in the book of Revelation chapter 3 Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea and he says I know your works you are neither cold nor hot with that you're either hot or cold so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth for you say I am rich I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and that was skimming some through Revelation 3 14 through 22 and I think a lot of churches are seeing the fruit of a mindset of not doing anything as a lot of churches are dying and they are starting to see and we have this image of churches meeting and doing the traditions but the one thing they're missing is Jesus Christ who is instead outside knocking wanting to be let in and I think there are churches more and more who are realizing that they need to do that they need to follow Jesus Christ because of what 
could happen otherwise and what we do see happening. And I think a reason that I've seen is obvious for Satan to want to stop the church is, like I said, there's a lot of really amazing Christians who have done really small things in my life that made a huge impact. And so Christians doing stuff, even small things, really does make a difference and do good for the kingdom. Mackenzie, she ended up converting because in high school someone invited her to church and she said no because of a bad experience with Christians, but she kept getting invited and eventually went. And uh, that church's youth group, they had each team have five mentors, five people who were investing in them and pouring into them. And in the Bible Belt where we lived, Tennessee, nine out of ten teens will, who are in the youth group will be completely done with church by the end of freshman year of college. And in McKinsey's youth group, there are only, which was a good size, there are only, from her time, there are two of those people who are no longer active in church, which is really unheard of. And so I think it's evidence of why Satan would want to stop churches from doing things along those lines. And another word for mentor is disciple, which I'll get to. In, Ma uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So even if we are tr struggling, there is optimism in that we know for sure the outcome, and we know for sure the outcome here is that God will bring the kingdom, and he will bring salvation, and it will swoop in, and he intends to use the church. And it may seem weird with how many few Christians, how few Christians are here, but that fits the pattern of the Bible. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Mark 4, 30 through 32. And if you want to know more about the kingdom of God, you can actually ask the teens. Uh, two Wednesday nights ago, we had a lesson on that, and they took notes, and then last Wednesday night, from notes and memory, they taught the teens who were not there, and they did really good. But a few things that we said is, a kingdom is defined by what's in the word, a king. The king and his people are what a kingdom are. It's a people group who lives according to the will of the king, the way he intends them to live. So with Christ as king, the kingdom of God would be those who obey him. So not just converts who follow him, but the more and more a people group obey, the more and more the kingdom is present. And it was central to Jesus's ministry. He begins immediately in Mark by saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And similarly, in Luke's gospel, when he begins his ministry, he's healing people and he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. 
for I was sent for this purpose. That's Luke 4, 40 through 44. And Matthew 4, 17 through 20, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something else, not only do all three of these begin his ministry with preaching the kingdom, but they also connect it to the call of his disciples as immediately after in each one, the beginning of the kingdom is Jesus calling his first disciples as he calls Simon Peter and his brother saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men right after in Mark 1. And again in Luke, right after there's the story of Jesus telling Peter to throw out the net and he catches the fish. And again, Luke includes that I said, from now on you will fish for people. And in Matthew, immediately after he begins his ministry of the kingdom, he calls them and again, Matthew includes, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the call of making disciples is obviously extremely important and also connected to the kingdom. And in fact, in Matthew, his first command to the disciples mirrors the last, which a lot of us know. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so this is my other name for the sermon, Introduction to Disciple Making. I didn't want to say it at first because I didn't want people to be thinking, when are you going to start talking about disciple making? Because I have to set it up first. And so what is a disciple? It's a very robust term. It means a lot of things. So I have a lot of quotes, and this one is just one of my thoughts, which is using the Great Commission. Like I said, the kingdom comes not just with converts, but the more and more they obey, the more it's present. And that parallels what Jesus tells them. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I think a big reason a lot of people fall away in America is we can forget the second half of the Great Commission. We do a study and then baptize them and then treat it like the end, forgetting and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so I put a disciple using this, someone who kills and ends their old self and lives as a new life in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism and comes to obey everything Jesus commanded his own disciples. So the next part. And the community of disciples are still led by Jesus, who is still with us now and always. And so this is just, you know, you've got a, every PowerPoint, you have to just include the dictionary. Um, one, this is a side note, but one of my favorite um, senior speeches uh, was uh, they started off with saying Google defines high school as, and I don't remember what it was, but anyways, so I just went with the classic 
Google defines disciple as a disciple implies a devoted allegiance to the teachings of one chosen as a master, one who accepts and assists in spreading the teaching of another, or as a verb, as in to disciple, to convert into a disciple, to teach, train. And then this is from Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. The first century world displayed a variety of religious, philosophical, and political leaders, all of whom had followers who were committed to their cause, teaching, and beliefs. While several different terms designated these followers, disciple was one of the most commonly used, and discipleship referred to the process of growth and development as a disciple. These terms also became the most commonly used to designate the followers of Jesus to the extent that in Jesus' great commission, the objective of the worldwide mission was to make disciples of all the nations. And then this is from a book called Discipleship by Bobby Harrington and Jim Putman. Just skimming through, I hope to include the PowerPoint online in the sermon where that is because I'm going to skim through some of these quotes, but it's just a disciple is a, G, is a disciple of Jesus, is a person who is becoming spiritually mature, cares for the lost, who's doing life with others, live in love like Jesus lived in love, and the rest, which I'll, um, hopefully you'll see. But Real Life Discipleship Training Manual is another book. To be a disciple means that what we know, Jesus, is moving our heart, what we know causes change in our character. He is making us into someone different. Our attitudes and priorities begin to shift. Then this is from another Bible dictionary, and I just want to focus on the last part. In Acts, the word disciple refers to the Christians nearly without exception. So that's an interesting thing is that in Acts, Luke calls us disciples far, far more than Christians, which only appears twice. And then again, going back to the Dictionary of Jesus and the disciples, um, skipping ahead a little, he defines it as living a fully human life in this world in union with Jesus Christ and growing in conformity to his image. And so these are some similar phrases. To disciple would be to teach, to mentor, to apprentice, to train. And so what is a disciple? A lot of things. Then here's some of my own thoughts. It would be committed to following Jesus and giving up your own way and giving your whole life over to instead be transformed to be like Jesus. So Jesus, when talking about discipleship, uses imagery that's clearly defined, uh, a defining imagery of himself. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Luke 9, 23 through 24. And this is just a fun fact if you don't know. The word Christian is a combination of Christ, as in Jesus Christ, and dian, which is Greek for little. So it's little Jesus Christ. And so there's even the word Christian has the idea of becoming like Christ. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father, John 14.12.
Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. 10, Matthew 10, 40. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And then, so making disciples if you're going to be like jesus it was the one constant from beginning to end and even past uh he passed the ascension was making disciples so to be like him obviously you would likewise make disciples and a good example another good bible example is paul and timothy where paul says in second timothy 2 1 through 2 Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. And then Paul shows he doesn't just teach through his words, but through his life. So he says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 14, and this is, skimming a little but you however have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings but as for you continue with what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and another about teaching not just through your words but your life paul says in first corinthians 11 1, be imitators of me as i am of christ so in Matthew 4.19, I think he says it well, follow me, following Jesus, and I will make you be transformed by him to be like him, fishers of men, to yourself make disciples and bring them into the kingdom. So disciples are like Jesus and that they make disciples to be like Jesus who make disciples to be like Jesus. So another example of this, in Luke's gospel, where Jesus begins his ministry by healing and teaching the kingdom, then in Luke 9, he sends out the 12 to heal and teach the kingdom. And uh, I'm not reading all of it, but he gives a lot of instructions. Then Luke 10, he sends out 72 to heal and preach the kingdom, giving very similar to the 12. And so something that may stick out is that 12 goes into 72, 12 times six is 72. So I think there's a idea already here that each of the 12 has their own disciples, their own groups of six, as they themselves are doing what Jesus did, and the group is growing exponentially of disciples. And so these are just a few resources. Like I said, this is an introduction of something that can uh, take up sermons and sermons and sermons. So I want to include a few. Uh, this is renew.org, which uh, my dad is actually involved with some and some other good reliable people. And discipleship.org is one. Uh, discipleship.org is a collaborative community of men and women committed to the discipleship lifestyle, being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. Uh, 
me see. Oh, and the author of Disciple Shift, which is a book I quoted earlier uh, and a good resource, he also is over discipleship.org. This, and this is just a quote from the book. The solution is to train people to be spiritually mature, fully devoted followers of Christ, and then in turn to have those disciples make more disciples. We must become disciple-making churches, and that happens best in relational environments. Final command is a good one. It's about a, just talks about a lot of disciple-making movements across the world, and then there's North Boulevard, our old church, which has some good resources, including the Disciple-Making Handbook, which uh, this is just an image of it, but it has a lot of good ideas. This is sort of a cycle of a disciple, how they were dead but born again, then infant, child, young adult, and parent as they make their own. And this is what I've used. It's just a tool for Bible studies. It's called Discovery Bible Study. And I like it because it's easy for anyone to do. It's easy to replicate. And I, it's as a bookmark, but you obviously don't need one if you know the questions. But I do have a ton, um, loads of bookmarks actually here at the church if anyone wants some. But the main thrust of the Bible study is you can do it with any passage, and it's four questions. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? How will you put this into practice? How will you obey? And then who can you share it with? So just an example, Romans 4:17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what do we learn about God? You could say God brings and desires righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. What do we learn about people? These are attributes of people in the kingdom of God. Uh, how can you obey? Maybe there, you say, oh, there's something that I've been, I need more peace and joy about. I need to pray and give that to God, just for an example, and then who can I share it with? Maybe, you know, my brother or my friend needs to hear this, or my parents. So that's an example. And then this is what they use in some disciple-making movements that are talked about in this book, Miraculous Movements. And it's really good, and he talks about the emphasis of obedience especially. So when we do these Bible studies, discovery Bible studies, we emphasize from the very beginning the most important part is not the learning, it's the obeying. And it talks about how the obedience is the means of the movements. He says how, um, he says how there are whole villages that convert because they see other villages and how they've transformed and they want the same thing, which of course only comes through obeying and so these are some examples of the transformations that are common healed families a spirit of freedom a spirit of love diminished violence less addiction redemption and hope evidence of divine favor grace and persecution freedom from demonic oppression and the power of individual prayer and then I want to 
want to include this, expect the hardest places to yield the greatest results. And this is something that I think is significant for us. And I feel really optimistic, even if uh, I have a pretty monotone voice and it doesn't reflect my optimism, I am actually really optimistic for where we live. And also because of personally, I know how God can use unlikely people and change them. And so some discipleship examples from my life is this is me in spring of 2016. And when I look at this, it's for me, it feels like I'm looking at a picture of some random person because not just how I've changed, but there's so much drugs and alcohol at this time. And that's me in fall of 2016, that same year. And that is Ken next to me who discipled me. He offered to teach me Taekwondo, but of course he really discipled me. And he was not the only one. I ended up knowing him because I interned at my parents' church for a video production program because they had a good one and I wanted to do that. And my boss was Paul Skidmore. This is us in Israel. And again, me and Paul in Israel. And he spent all that time as my boss, but really he discipled me. And long, long after I converted, they were pouring into me and discipling me. And both of them in so many ways are the reason that I've become who I am. And there's Paul on the left and Ken on the right at our wedding. And Ken's wife, Okyung, who also uh, was really encouraging for me. And another of Okyung. And then this is another resource. North Boulevard, the church actually wanted to film a lot of testimonies of discipleship. And I actually ended up making and editing most of them, but they're on Vimeo, and I think they're really good because discipleship can look like so many different things. There are so many different ways it can look, and the issue is Vimeo is not very accessible, so if you want to, I would recommend just Googling North Boulevard Church of Christ testimonials on Vimeo, which is long, but if you Google something like that, hopefully it'll show up, or if you find North Boulevard's page, you can hopefully find that collection. But anyways, that's been it, and I include it because as soon as I converted, I wanted to do Bible studies with a lot of my old friends from that time, high school, because I moved back to where I lived in high school and not college. And so there's me and Bennett way back in high school, and we ended up, I asked him if he wanted to do uh, DBS together, and he said, isn't that a high school sorority? And I forgot that there is a sorority for high school girls called Delta Beta Sigma. So I said, no, it's a different DBS. And we did it, and it ended up being something that we included both of them in the testimony, him and his girlfriend, because she had really, it was really important for her that Bennett would be active in church. And there's a lot of quotes in all the testimonies about how a big impact was they felt more fulfillment than ever. They felt a lot of 
like the full what church should be and the community should be. And several of these testimonies, they say they felt love for the first time, not the fantasy love, I guess, from romance movies and stuff, but actual caring and affection and real love. And it was also a big impact was they said often that they were impressed by Christians who actually acted like Christians and walked the walk and how much that impacted them. And it's something that ended up being, again, relationships. Like I said, it can look like a different, different stuff because it's relationships. And so this was a happy moment when Bennett was baptized. And then here's also a wedding picture of us. And um, I did several discipleship groups, but another one uh, was with four people, Luke, Ying, uh, Alex, and Ben, who were also groomsmen in our wedding. And so I have so many wedding pictures because of I want to show that the idea of discipleship is again relational you're in each other's lives it's not really a formula or program for church but it's genuinely you know having relationships and having a connection to each other in your lives and that investment and so whoops how did that get in there <laughs> and here's another example that i think we know of discipleship making a difference I know a lot of people have pointed out how they have noticed changes in Calvin's discipleship group and the people and how acting differently and stuff during that time, which I agree it made and made and still has made a big impact. And so this is something called the School of Discipleship, which actually Calvin led, and then Ken, my mentor, and then me. It's just a program mostly for college students because their schedules are flexible. That was every day, and it's different people teaching and talking about discipleship. One of the days was Paul, who's in the top left, my mentor. And we did this, and I showed this because it was actually something that when I led, there were a lot of times where I thought, this is not going well at all. It was actually barely hanging on by a thread. We were struggling, and another big thing I did was this. I like putting together prayer retreats, and but it also was kind of the same way. And Ken did House of Prayer, which was a once-a-month thing that I took over. And there are some good ones, but it was also a big struggle, and I felt the same, like, I just will have to take the small victories along the way. And this is Adam, who I discipled. He asked me if I could, and there's him at a prayer retreat and the house of prayer. And then there's another picture of us when we visited at his graduation. And um, there's a surprise, actually. There's Luis. He was there also on that trip, but sadly he didn't get a hug. Um, but Adam ended up a while back doing a house of prayer and worship event. And it was, he brought it together and 
there's a college where we live, MTSU, and it was the first event that had every single campus ministry involved. And I was really blown away. And another example is um, the, the prayer retreats actually kept going, which I was surprised. And they even, Curry, who hosted it, built a prayer barn, and they do one once a month now. And I include these because, like I said, at the time, I really felt like this is not going well. It's, but I think it's an example of stuff that I've seen other people talk about. Like Calvin, for example, when he was a missionary, he said for two years it felt like there was absolutely nothing happening and they had no idea of why or what was going on. And then all of a sudden it just took off and they had countless churches and baptisms started. And my old, someone I knew, um, who's a youth minister, shared a lot of stories of people who were not receptive at all and then 20 years later messaged him on Facebook and they're now a missionary and they said it was because of him. And so I think these are encouraging stories because even if it doesn't seem to go your way, I really believe God honors you and honors the work you put even if you don't for my case, I didn't even really feel like it made much of a difference until a few years after we moved from Tennessee. And for Samuel 2.30, for those who honor me, I will honor. And John 12, 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So one last example. This is a group of us who were close, and there are some more who can make it, but it was kind of a loose group, I guess. Some people who were involved in lots of stuff together, some would come to some and not others, but this is us in Oregon, actually. They came with us when we moved, and I want to focus on Taylor and Alexis, who we started discipling when they were little, what felt like little 18-year-olds, freshmen in college. It feels like that now. We actually saw them when we visited in Tennessee, and Ken and Paul and Adam, but, and they're all grown up now. Um, but this is them at their wedding, and I think it's a good example of the family tree. Uh, we both discipled Alexis, and I baptized her actually in Florence. And um, it was really amazing. But Alexis, so there's a little family tree, and then Alexis was part of her and her friends discipled and baptized Sam, and then Alexis, Sam, and other friends discipled and baptized Brooke. And then Sam and some friends, and not Alexis, discipled and baptized Sarah. And uh, I think it's a cool example because um, just of the idea of the progression and the family aspect. And so this was a really, I feel like, an introduction of introduction to discipleship. But I want to close with this verse. It's actually the only verse in the Gospels where an author 
points out that Jesus was happy, and not only happy, but rejoiced. It's when the 72 returned. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All right. So, yeah, Cal, you can come. Where he leads me, I will follow, number 200. Let us stand. I can hear my Savior calling, 